0: All right. Great to see you this morning. Good to be here in Fremont, one of the top five hometowns in the state of Ohio, right? Yeah, cool. That's great stuff. Good to see. Uh, it's an exciting time for our church, getting ready to open our Tiffin campus. And we had, last week, we had a great start to our series, made for more 32 first-time decisions last Sunday morning. So 32, that's pretty good. You know, people saying they're deciding on Jesus. And Nothing better than that. And then Kevin introduced really what we hope to see in everyone who comes to grace. If they haven't previously, that they would discover truth and they would decide on Jesus. And then that we would all demonstrate change and deploy for others. We talked about those first two areas last week, discovering truth and deciding on Jesus. And then touched on demonstrating change. Today we're going to pick up there, talk some more about that third challenge because it's a big deal. It's a really big deal for us as believers. And first of all, it's a big deal that we get that order right. See, if, if, if you've not already decided on Jesus, the reality is no amount of change that you make will make any difference before God. It won't get you into heaven. No matter what change you make, it won't get you a relationship with God. It won't get your sins taken care of. It won't get you his presence walking with you through every day of your life. If you've not decided on Jesus, you can't do enough change to make a difference in your situation before him. See, our salvation is not based on change. Our change is based on our salvation. So once you've decided on Jesus, you've placed your trust completely in what he did for you on the cross as your substitute, paying for your sin, then change becomes a part of your relationship with him. In fact, change for the Christian isn't an option. We sometimes act like it is, but change is really the way we're made. And when we first decided on Jesus, he brought change to our lives, didn't he? I mean, if you look, think about the way the Bible describes us as Christians, it talks about us as new creations. It tells us we have a new nature. In fact, we're so drastically changed that Jesus said we were, had to be, we were born again. All these ways, over and over, we're described in ways that point to the fact that change is part of us. And you can think about your own life how he brought change to you, where you were before you came to Christ, and then when you made that decision, and then the difference he made in your life. How has your life been transformed? Well, we're so thankful for that. It's what we sang about this morning, so many of those songs, really about what he's done in changing us. We've got a story we want to share with you this morning of one of our members, Deb Navarez. We want to share with you how God brought change to her life.
1: Hi, I'm Deb Navarez. As a high schooler here in Fremont Ross, my best friend asked one day if I would go with her to a youth group meeting at Grace, and that one invitation changed my life forever. I grew to know more and more about Jesus, heard about Jesus every Wednesday in youth group, and certainly on Sundays. And at one of those meetings, I came to know the Lord. I saw that I realized I was a sinner and that I needed salvation, and I accepted Christ then. I continued to um, learn about Jesus, went to Grace College, did all the normal things, and we were blessed with two girls. Ray and I knew one thing more than anything else. We wanted to take them to a God-believing, Bible-preaching church. And so we wanted them to go with us to Grace Community. Of course, it's grown now. It's huge now, Um, but the truths have remained the same. And our girls heard about Jesus and salvation from as far back as we care. During those days in youth group and even in a little bit in junior high, they made lasting friendships. One of those friendships became very, very special. Our older daughter's best friend one day said to us that she had accepted Christ. In March of 2017, I became very sick. I had no real reason that I could account for that I was so sick. It felt like the flu, it felt like, just I didn't feel good. I ended up in the hospital, and they diagnosed me with end-stage renal failure. And at that moment, In time, they started me on dialysis. Although I knew dialysis was life-saving, and it was necessary to sustain my life, it was hard. When I found out then that I was eligible to, for a kidney transplant, I was like, okay, all right, let's do that. As I progressed through the dialysis, it was more like, I need that kidney we began to talk to some close friends and family members about donation and about especially being a kidney donor. My older daughter, by that time, had moved to Chicago. She was a student at Moody Bible Institute and she, she began praying. One day, Carly called me and said that her best friend wanted to donate her kidney. My first reaction is, Carly, tell her no. She's 24 years old. She has the rest of her life to launch herself into something like this. This is big. Kinda talking to her about it and what surgery is like and how it might, um, might be very beneficial to me. It certainly could take its toll a little bit on her body, but she remained firm and said no. Mrs. Navarez, I want to do this, and this is what Jesus is leading me to do. And we kept thinking how that one invitation to come to Grace Brother Church back in the early days to my daughter's friendships and invitations to church changed my life. We had the transplant at Cleveland Clinic, and wow, just in moments, After getting that 24-year-old kidney, I was a new woman. God has continued to work in my life, in my friend's life, in my girl's life. God used relationships in this church to bring me renewed life.
0: So good, huh? good seeing the way God provided for Deb and, and then uh, to, to see the progression did you hear it there she's invited we're, you know it's the very thing we're talking about she discovered truth she heard it she decided on Jesus and then Jesus has been changing her life ever since he changes us he makes us new so a lot of you know we've got eight little grandkids and the ninth one's on the way and uh, so our house the oldest one is four okay so, so it, it's a when we get together, it is a bundle of energy, it is controlled somewhat chaos. Um, it's a lot of fun. We just have a great time, but it does, you know how it is with kids. It's, it doesn't take long before you start seeing that sin nature in them, right? Uh, it starts showing up there. It's it's in some temper tantrum. It's hey you you told them to do something and, and they do the opposite, or you know, they're they're grabbing for things, they're you know, fighting with the others, hey, they want their thing, and you know, it's they're selfish. You see all this stuff showing up, and that's the way all of us were, born with a sin nature. And then God changes us. And unlike the way change normally goes in people's lives where so many times it brings some unsettledness and upheaval. The change he brought to us brought stability and peace. I had a story that hit me this morning I'd forgotten about over the years. Um, when I was a, Yeah, and Guy, right after Becky and I got married, um, I was doing any job, basically, I could find to do. And uh, some of you will remember the name Larry Burkett and uh, Christian Financial Concepts. Well, they had a piece of property in the mountains of North Georgia. And it was about 200 acres there. And they wanted some stuff cleared on that property, um, some brush cleared. And so I went to... uh, be a part of clearing that brush out and there was a couple other guys there one of them was an older guy that was a little bit different um his last na- his name was gabby berry okay and gabby actually was a distant relative of mine um the berry family was my grandmother's family and there were a lot of berries around down there and and uh, uh he is a little bit different he's a little bit like if you ever watched the, the Andy Griffith Show. Remember Ernest T. E. Bass? <laughs> that was Gabby. He didn't throw rocks, but uh, he's about—he's a little crazy like that, you know. And and so as we're clearing brush, we came across this situation where there's a huge hornet's nest hanging in some of this stuff. And and he he says, "I've got an idea. I want to get rid of this thing because these hornets are just nasty." And and so. He says, uh, um, I've got a swing blade. And he says, I want, we got, we'll go and get in this old pickup truck. You drive, me, and, and drive by pretty fast, and I'm going to hang out the window <laughs> and swing at that thing with this, this blade, and, the, and we'll just keep going then. And, and so we'll be, we'll be good, and we'll get it down. Okay, we'll try that. So sure enough, we take off. And, and Gabby's hanging out that window. Uh, you know, I don't know how he stayed in the truck. He's hanging out so far. And we're and I'm flying along through this field bouncing, and and he takes a swing with that just as we get to that hornet's desk, and sure enough, it fell to the ground, and we keep going, and it worked pretty good as far as getting it on the ground. That wasn't our problem. The problem was the hornets, and they got really mad. And so Here we were supposed to be clearing this out. For some reason, he thought this would speed us up. And instead, for like days, we couldn't get in that area. Because those hornets were so... Sometimes in our lives, when we're wanting change, we go to do things. And we just make a bigger mess of it with all of our effort. We come up with ideas that don't even make sense. Jesus makes change in our life that takes the load off instead of adding to it. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He brought change to us that didn't add the load to us. It took the load off. And that change continues to impact our lives each and every day. What I want to do with the rest of our time is just point out just a couple of characteristics about that change. First of all, as Christians, for us, that change should be natural, and second, that change should be visible. If you're a Christian, change in life should be natural. It's what's naturally produced in a believer's life. It's not the result of some program. You know, here at Grace, we're not really interested so much in producing programs to bring change. We're more interested in providing a path. See, the thing about a path is it's proven. That's what we hope to do, provide a direction That's proven that gets the obstacles out of our way that prevents us from change. And but then there's freedom on how it all works in each of our lives. That's why it's not a program. It's not a regimented list of man-made ideas. This past Friday, uh, we sort of got a tradition around here on Fridays, the pastors, that we get lunch and bring it back here to the church and, and, and keep working. But we usually go down we'll go down to rallies, you know, and get our lunch and and uh, come back here and work. And and so Friday came lunchtime, I took off for rallies. I got, I pulled up to place my order. And if you've been through rallies, you know it's not automated like some places are, but they say the same thing every time you pull up. Welcome to rallies. My name is, would you like to try a Big Buford combo? And I'm like, I like Big Buford combos you know, they don't compare you to Five Guys. You know, Five Guys is on a level all its own, right? But for, for what I can get at lunchtime here, Big Buford's pretty good. And so I'm like, yeah, I'd like a Big Buford combo with a Coke. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, we can't serve you a Big Buford combo. We don't have the patties today. I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, you just asked me if I'd like a big Beaver combo. What, what is that about? And, and so, and, I, and as I drove away with some other sandwich, I don't know what it was, um, I'm thinking, why, why would, did that guy do that? And it it hit me, you know, he's probably saying that, been saying that for years, so many times a day, that he says it without ever thinking about it. It means absolutely nothing to him to welcome me to rallies. It means nothing to offer a big view for comedy. It means nothing. He's just going through the ritual that he has. And the last thing we want here at Grace, is for you to just be going back through a ritual where it means nothing to you. You're just saying words. You're just doing things. We want you following a path. What propels you as a Christian is the fact that God. this is God's plan. What propels us is knowing that the Spirit of God lives in us. And we know from the moment we became believers, He came to live in us. We're told that specifically in Scripture. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. See those two things, believing and sealing, the two go together. Having believed, you were sealed. It's not that we receive the Spirit sometime, some later experience. You received Him when you responded to the gospel. Just like some of you did last week. You know, and there's a ton of good stuff that comes with that decision. If you made that decision last week, a ton of good stuff that comes with that. You, and you will spend the rest of your life getting to know the good stuff of walking with him through life. One of those good things is this. That the Spirit of God, the moment you made that decision, came into your heart and your life, and He walks with you through life, and He brings change. Romans 8, 9 says, However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. See, what that verse is telling us is there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Spirit living in him. And just like he brought change to us when we first decided on Jesus, he continues to bring change to our lives. He's all about change. And how does he bring that change to us? Well, a number of ways. He, first of all, he convicts us of sin, right? He points us to our wrong. He causes us to see it. He causes us to see it the way God sees it. Then he gives us a desire to turn from it. And then he empowers us to live for God. He gives us what we need to do what God wants. See, we're not talking about change that somehow we bring to ourselves that we get it together. This isn't some self-help, self-focused, positive thinking that we're talking about here. He, bring, he brings change to our lives. We don't do it on our own and he convicts and empowers us. He does that by his constant presence in our lives. He continues to convict us of sin and empower us to do what's right through that presence and he does that through the word of God that lights our way. All of that is his work in us. And that's why change is so natural in our lives. And I know the questions that come from this. People hear that change is natural for a Christian. People ask questions like, well, what if change doesn't happen? Or what if there's no change at all? And, And what about the person who seemed to change And then the changes stopped happening, and they went back to life like it was before. The Bible deals with those issues, and the the first one's pretty clear on the no change at all question. In that case, you know, maybe the person prayed a prayer or whatever, whatever they did. Then they turned and they walked away and never really gave any evidence of salvation. They didn't get into church. They didn't get into God's Word. They continued to to, to live with sin in their life, that with no desire to turn from it, for those individuals, really, there should be no assurance of salvation. It can't be that I'm looking back and going, "Okay, how do you know you're saved?" Well, my life's sort of a mess, and I'm doing my own thing. But back when I was 13, I prayed a prayer. Scripture doesn't give us that option jesus said in john 14 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments if you love me guess what there's going to be change you'll want to be obedient no change means that you've not given your life to him and it should cause us to stop and consider where we stand before god but what about the person who had changed for a while and then walked away well, if you remember, Jesus told a story. It's what's called the parable of four soils, where a farmer is out spreading his seed. He's throwing it out there, and the seed ends up on four different types of soil, right? Some along the road, some on rocky soil, some among the thorns, and then some on good soil. Well, that second soil, it ended up on rocky soil. That second seed that ended up on rocky soil, we're told immediately it sprang up Things were looking good. It's growing. Wow, everybody's excited. But then what happened? The sun came out and scorched it. On this rocky ground, it didn't have enough soil to handle that, and it withered away. That example is talking about people who look like they've come to Christ. They're excited. It's looking like they're growing, but then they wither away. That's really what the whole book of Hebrews is about. The writer of Hebrews, he writes to these people, and and they're discouraged. They're discouraged because people that have been with them and part of the church are gone. They've left. And so he's writing to them, and he's trying to encourage them to, to remain faithful. And he writes, and he gives them all kinds of reasons why following Christ and staying in the church and being a part of what God's doing is better, far better than any choice they can make otherwise. And so he gives them those arguments and then he deals with, well, what about the other people that already left? And he comes to two conclusions that he explains to us in chapter 12. And he says it's one of these two things. Either those people were never saved in the first place, which is terrible news, or they were saved and still are saved, but God is gonna discipline them out of his love for them as his children to bring them back to himself, which is a little bit of mixed news, isn't it? I mean, it's good news that there is children Bad news that he's going to discipline them though, right? And that's not going to be enjoyable. And why is he doing that? Well, in the text we're told it's because he loves them. We know that the reason he, part of his love for them is he wants them to change. It's natural for the believer to change. There's only one question, but there's another question, one that I know a lot of people ask that maybe you're there right now. Um, And it's this, well, I've had some change. I, I trusted Jesus and I've had some change. I haven't walked away, but I'm stuck for some reason. I want change, but I'm not seeing it like I'd like what about me? I struggle with some sin. I'm just not growing in certain areas of my life. I'm not as consistent as I'd like to be. Well, if that's you, you're stuck and you're wanting to change, but you're not seeing it, there's several things for you to keep in mind. I was just sharing these with my class last week, and and I want to encourage you with these things, okay? First of all, You've got to recognize the positive in that, all right? And here it is. If you're recognizing that you're stuck and you want change, you've got to know there's a positive there because you've got something pushing you to change. Think about it, why would you want that? What's causing that desire in you? Why aren't you satisfied where you're at? Because wanting to change to be more like Jesus isn't the way a person who doesn't know him normally thinks. So that desire for change is coming from somewhere. And the answer of where it's coming from is God's Spirit. Like we're saying, He he was given to us when we trusted Jesus. It's coming from the Spirit of God living in in you. He's the agent for change. And having him, Him in your life is assurance of your salvation. So being stuck but not being satisfied in that sense is a good thing. It's a piece of evidence that shows you that you belong to God. So good news, recognize that positive. Don't stop, keep moving, keep desiring the change. Do see how God empowers you to to live differently, but recognize the good that his spirit lives in you. Second thing is this, you gotta know, you're not some weird anomaly. You're not alone. Everybody faces slowdowns and stalls, and everybody gets stuck sometime. Even the Apostle Paul. Remember this? Some of you know the passage well, Romans chapter 7. Paul's looking at his own life, and it's like, wow, yikes. See, so he evaluates what's going on. He's like, I'm not doing things I'd like to do. And I'm doing the very things I hate. The Apostle Paul, the guy who's impacted more lives than anyone since Jesus. I'm, I'm not doing the things I want to do. I'm doing things I hate. He's sitting back evaluating his life, and he's like, I'm stuck. You want to move forward? and you know what you really should do, you know where you should be moving forward in your life, maybe you're even beating yourself up for not being further along the path than you are, you're not alone. And Paul comes to this conclusion in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord so that on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's Paul living with these two facts. The truth is I'm wretched and the truth is Jesus sets me free. We need to live with those in our In our lives, those two truths, we come to the conclusion wretched man that I am, I get it. I look at my life, I see my own weaknesses, I give in too easy, I give up too easy, I'm unfaithful. We don't have to stay there though. Who's gonna set us free? Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the point being that I'm trying to make here is feeling stuck in our growth isn't unusual. Doesn't mean we have to stay where we're at, but it also doesn't mean uh, you're experiencing something that no one else has had to go through. We all have to deal with it. You're not out there by yourself. And the third thing is this, change is possible. Whatever it is you're stuck in, it's not a hopeless situation. God has provided the way for it to happen. One of my favorite verses, 2 Peter 1, 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Seeing that his divine power, if the change we're looking for was brought about by his divine power, guess what? It can accomplish what it was sent to do, Right? his divine power. It's, it's more than enough. Seeing that his divine power has granted, he just gave it to us. Everything. How much? Everything. Not most of what we need, not some of what we need. Everything we need for life and godliness Everything you need to be obedient. Everything you need to see change in your life. He gave us everything we need for life and godliness. If changing means I'll be more like Christ, if it means I'm going to be more godly in the way I live, then he has already given us everything we need. How do you know that? Well, from that last phrase, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence. Through the true... When were you given everything you need? When you came to know Him. The moment you trusted Christ. 32 people, hopefully, last week in our services, when they came to trust Christ, they were given everything they need for the rest of their life to serve Him. Not lacking in anything. It's not hopeless, it's hopeful. It's possible. So, you gotta know if you're stuck, you're wanting change, know know these three things. Know that you're his, his spirit lives in you. Know that you're not alone, but also know that change is possible. For the Christian, change is natural. And the second point to remember is, change should also be visible. That's why we say demonstrate change. It should be something that can be seen. The change in our lives should be seen by others. You say, well, I thought we weren't supposed to do things to be seen by others. Didn't Jesus say we weren't supposed to do our good things before men? Yeah, he said that. It's in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So he said that. He also said earlier in that same sermon, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives And it gives light to all who are in the house. See, these two things he's talking about, salt and light, they have an impact on what's around them. And he's saying we should have an impact on what's around us. And then he goes on, verse 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father who's in heaven. So, which one is it? Am I supposed to do my good works so that men see, or am I not supposed to? Obviously, Jesus isn't contradicting himself. So how do we understand that? Well, it, it depends. He's pointing to us, really, what's, what's the goal in mind? What's the purpose of us doing good things? See, in that first quote that we read from chapter 6, the goal is simple. It's to be noticed by men, and that's all. It goes no higher than that. And boy, that's tempting, isn't it? It can get a hold of us without us hardly noticing it. We want people to see us doing good because we're nice people. And we want people to think that we're nice. And so we do good. We go to church. We don't beat the dog. We do good to others. We help people out. We give them food. We mow their lawn. And they think we're so nice. And it's so easy to leave it at that. Makes us feel good. Makes them feel good. Everybody's feeling good. But if we do good without pointing them to Jesus, if we do good with the focus on ourselves, That good means nothing before God. So, even if we're telling people, hey, I'm praying for you, and the point of our telling them is so they think as they walk away, wow, what a nice person he is praying for me. And it's not really about them being encouraged. By the fact that their name or their need was brought before the Father, who hears and knows and understands who works for our good, if it's not to point them to Him, but to have them notice us, if that's what's causing us to do that good, Jesus is saying, that means nothing to God. But in chapter five, verse 16, the goal is higher. Here, it's if we're doing good so that people see our good works. And the goal is that the Father gets glorified. It's a much higher purpose. And they should see that in us. Change should be visible to them. And that's what we want here at Grace as a church. If you're part of our church, what we want is for the people in your life to see you becoming more like Jesus. And people seeing that and recognizing that the reason you're different, the reason change is going on in your life is because God brought change to you. And that's when we make an impact on those around us with eternal results. God is glorified. Other Christians are built up in their faith. And those who don't know Christ are impacted by his work in you really comes down to some simple questions. And think about it. If the Apostle Paul could sit back and review his life, don't you think we should do that once in a while? Instead of just sort of meandering through life, we sit back and we go, okay, let me take a a check here. Is my life, is there change happening in my life? Are others seeing that change? Are others glorifying God because of my good works? Simple questions that should cause us to spend time considering whether or not we're demonstrating change. I mean, if we're going to say that's what we're about at Grace Community Church, boy, we better match up. My encouragement to you is to sit back and do a check. Is there change happening? Are others seeing it? Is God being glorified? And ultimately, if we're having real change in our lives, one of the best ways that's gonna be demonstrated is when we deploy for others. So that's what we'll be talking about next week. We hope to see you as we continue and Made for More. I wanna encourage you, though, to make sure You're taking that check, okay? And and as you do that, if you have questions about changing your own life, or if you have questions because you're not sure you're a believer, or maybe you're thinking, I'm not a believer, and you want to talk to somebody, pastors will be back in room one as we dismiss. We would love to talk to you about that, okay? Thanks so much for being here. Let's stand, we'll pray, and we'll close. Father in heaven, we thank you that you know us, you love us, you've provided for us. And God, our, our, our greatest desire, God, is that we'd be able to get out of the way ourselves, quit drawing attention to ourselves, and, and do good in such a way that you, Father, are glorified. Bring change to our lives. And where we're struggling, God, give us strength and help us, Father, to know that you've already provided all that we need for life and godliness. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And Father, I pray for anyone here that may not have come into relationship with you, God, that they would come, they would talk, they would look, they would consider, and they would discover what it is to decide on you and turn their life over to you and know the goodness of walking through life with you. We love you again, Father. pray you bless our day now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.